The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. The show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hey, everybody. Welcome in. It is our Tuesday edition of the Leach Report coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio here in Lexington. And on the show today, we will chat with... Preston Spradlin, the coach of the Moorhead State Eagles, the Commonwealth of Kentucky's lone representative as a team in the NCAA tournament. They will take on West Virginia in the first round, and we'll talk with Preston about the season and the matchup with Coach Huggins' squad. David Zisk from Cats Illustrated uh, will join us today, and we'll finish up with Gary Parrish. From CBS Sports, college basketball writer Larry Vaught, normally with us on Tuesdays. Uh, we needed to switch this week, so Larry will join us on Friday's show. Let's get right to the Wildcat news of the day. And we will start with Coach Cal's final radio show of the season to um, put uh, or bring to an end this uh, disappointing Kentucky basketball season. But I thought Cal had the right tone in what he said last night, um, I think from what I can tell, scanning a little bit of Twitter after the show, the reviews were positive from fans. Uh, he didn't make any excuses. Uh, talked about a lot of things. Some things he uh, doesn't know the answer to yet as far as who's leaving, who's going to stay. Um, and he said that should all play out over the next uh, few weeks, and um, he'll be giving more thought to what he's looking at moving forward once his uh, roster is is in place. But he talked about the ground moving below them uh, as a not just a program but college basketball with a lot of changes that are coming to the game. Uh, Everyone's expecting the transfer rule to get changed so that uh, it'll be a little more like free agency, I guess, where players can uh, move freely and get a one-time transfer, no questions asked, and be immediately eligible. So players on you know mid-major teams that maybe got overlooked the first time around in recruitment uh, might get a second chance to uh, move up to a program like a Kentucky or a Duke or Carolina, etc. So that's going to be uh, one change. Uh, name, image, and likeness uh, also figures to change the game in some ways. Cal talked about uh, what the G League's doing. Uh, he's actually was complimentary of uh, their approach, and that's going to make it harder, he said, to, to get the best of the best. Uh, so... Perhaps, excuse me, I had to cough. Perhaps Kentucky uh, gets deeper into that transfer market. Um, he said, as far as style of play, when he talked about the ground moving below him, he didn't initially elaborate. So I wanted to follow up. Did he mean those things with uh, around the policies of the game, the NIL or transfers, or was he talking about style of play? He was actually talking about both. As far as style, he uh, said the game's moving more toward positionless players. And he said something I thought was uh, particularly interesting, that he says he sees the game now more being about skill and less about athleticism. And I think that's probably uh, uh, a message that uh, fans wanted to hear, where that maybe you'll – and he talked about this at one point during the season, too. You have Maybe you have to sacrifice a little bit of uh, what you would like defensively to get uh, a little more – 
a little a few more shooters on the on the team or, or on the court at times. I think you probably could think about it with what Mark Stoops is doing with uh, his Kentucky football team and bringing in Liam Cohen and wanting to get better at the passing game. Kentucky's not going to turn into an air raid team. They're still going to be what uh, Mark's personality is. They're going to run the football uh, and be physical. But they wanted to get better at throwing the football. Um, Calipari's teams are going to focus on being sound defensively, locking you down, challenging shots, being hard to score over, and grabbing the rebounds when they make you miss. But if you can also add to that uh, a little more shooting and maybe instead of averaging four or five threes a game you get that up to seven or eight um i I think uh, maybe that's what he is looking uh to go in that direction he talked about wanting guys to have uh, play more pickup games this summer hopefully back to uh, more of a normal situation and he would like to see them play uh more pickup games so guys can learn how to play with their teammates and what other guys' strengths and weaknesses are. Really a lot of interesting stuff. You can catch the podcast if you missed the show last night. Dante Allen's mom tells the Falmouth Outlook that uh, her son is firmly committed to another year at Kentucky. So I think fans are certainly glad to hear that. Uh, Mark Stoops did a news conference yesterday to talk about spring practice, which gets going today for the Wildcats. And he also talked about uh, John Settle, his new running backs coach and special teams co-coordinator that is joining the program. And uh, Coach Settle leaves Wisconsin, a very successful run there with their running backs to come to Kentucky. And Stoops also talked about, for all of the excitement and, and buzz about a new offensive system, their emphasis remains on fundamentals. So I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Um, They want to still be who they are, but get better at throwing the football. U.K. women seeded fourth in the NCAA tournament. They'll take on 13-seed Iowa in San Antonio on Sunday afternoon at 2 Eastern. Game will be televised on ESPN. You'll hear it with Darren Hedrick's call on the U.K. radio network. Iowa State 22-3 on the season. Champions of the Big Sky, Kentucky, the four-seed. Links to the stories that we talk about can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. Coach Preston Spradlin from the Moorhead State Eagles will be coming right back here on the Leach Report Radio Network. Find out more about the voice of the Cats and get great coverage of the Big Blue at TomLeachKY.com. We go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com online and bring on the coach of the Moorhead State Eagles, Coach Preston Spradlin. And, Coach, you guys already in Indy or heading up there in the next day or two? Oh, no, we've, we've been up here, my friends. We, uh, we've been in the bubble since uh, Sunday. We actually you know, did all the Selection Sunday uh, festivities here in a controlled environment in Indianapolis. And uh, so, yeah, we're actually getting ready to head to practice right now in the convention center. So really, really cool setup. NCAA's done a fantastic job of uh, making sure that everything's safe, convenient, and uh, you've got everything you need to, to get ready for the tournament. So players, coaches, you guys, if I'm uh, correct on, I guess, my assumption here, you basically spend most of your time in, in the hotel, and you can have meetings, I guess, and then you go out to get to practice, but then you're back locked down at the hotel until you play your game. Is that it? Yeah, pretty much. You know, you, you got here. The first thing we did was we tested. Uh, then they send you to your rooms. Everyone has an individual room. And um, each team has their own floor. 
which is nice. Um, and then we had to get up the next morning, Monday, test again, go back to our rooms. And then once we got the results back uh, last night, then we were able to come down and uh, walk to the convention center to practice. So we don't have to get on a bus. We're not going outside. You know, we're uh, using the walkways, the skyways, and, and all of those things. And I think they have 12 practice courts maybe set up in the convention center, basically like your own private practice gym, huge weight room set up that we'll utilize this morning. So uh, just a really, really cool, you know, experience to be here. Uh, just in a very different year. Well, it certainly has been that, and uh, you know, it was it was a different uh, kind of uh, year when we switched into 2021 for you guys. Uh, since a loss at Clemson on December 21st, you guys have lost one time. What was it that uh, got this group going? Um, you know what? I think uh, either we had a really difficult non-conference schedule. You know, four top 25 teams at the time that we had played them, and uh, you mentioned that Clemson game. Um, at that point in time, we had played more games than anyone in the country. That was our 10th game. And uh, so our guys were tired. You know, we didn't have any COVID pauses or anything like that leading up to the season. So we had practiced for a long time, played a lot of games, and uh, we were still trying to find our footing. You know, we had a lot of new faces. You know, four of our five starters didn't play for us last year. So it took a little time for those guys to shake the rust off, find their roles, accept those roles. And for us to really kind of establish our identity, and those, that's hard to do when you're playing four top 25 teams uh, with so many new guys. Uh, but the good thing is our guys kept everything in perspective. We just focused on getting better. Um, they kept their togetherness as a team, and we developed a lot of toughness throughout that. And, um, you know, once we got back, we were rested up after Christmas break. We had some good information uh, just coming off of uh, those games of, hey, this was good, this wasn't, need to change this, need to adjust this, so on and so forth. And um, then, you know, came back and uh, got a big win at Murray State. Um, first time in 18 years that our program has won in that building, and I think that just gave us a lot of confidence um, in what we've been doing. And, uh, you know, allows us to you know, continue the run that we're on right now. Moore, it's got a uh, great tradition. Uh, it's some really outstanding teams over the years. But first time in a tournament in 10 years. Um, what's this mean to, to this program and to you in helping it get there? Well, it's a big accomplishment. You know, obviously, uh, people love basketball throughout the state of Kentucky, and it's no different just down the road here in, in Moorhead. And, um, you know, it's been 10 years since that great run that Donnie and his teams, Kenneth Reed, had put together, you know, beating Louisville. And so our fan base wanted to get back. And um, just, just for it to happen in a year like this, you know, with the virus, with all the hardships that everybody's faced, um, the you know, the flooding that's happening in eastern Kentucky the past few weeks the devastation that the people of our region have gone through um so to be able to provide you know some real positive you know positive uh influence right now going into the NCAA tournament at this point in time is really meaningful and then for me it's personally meaningful obviously being from the mountains and uh and being the head coach here at Moorhead. I'm looking at the uh, KenPalm.com sheet for you guys and um on folks who haven't seen uh what Ken Pomeroy does. It, good stats show up uh, in green if you're you know, highly rated in, in a particular category, and um, uh, the red is the ones where you aren't ranked as high. And there is a bunch of green under that defensive column for Moorhead State. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we take a lot of pride in that. I tell you, this has been a really fun group to coach. And, you know, I kind of came up with the, with the phrase, it's not the catchiest thing in the world, but these guys kind of play with just defensive confidence. 
And it kind of dawned on me, um, and, and probably late January, I think it was, we were playing Tennessee Martin at home and played a great game. And uh, it wasn't until the next day I was watching a film and cutting it up, and our commentators uh, made the comment that we missed eight of our first nine shots. I didn't even realize that. I didn't even realize that while we were watching, oh, I was rewatching the game. And uh, we were just so locked in defensively, we held them to 22 points in each half and ended up winning by 30. And that was I mentioned it to our guys the next day. And um, they were like, Coach, we missed eight of our nine first shots. Like, we didn't even realize it. We were just so locked in defensively trying to get stops. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of stories like that. You know, we played at Tennessee Tech and, uh, you know, we're going to a media timeout, seven and a half minutes to go, and kind of challenged the guys to not let them get to X amount of points in the game. And uh, we held them scoreless for the last seven and a half minutes of the game. And so when you do things like that, it helps those numbers that you're seeing on Kim Palm. But, uh, you've got to have the right guys to do it. You know, we've got some tough guys that they take a lot of pride defensively and they want to win. And um, whatever it is that we got to do to to win a ball game, they're they're ready to do it. How did your time here at UK uh, shape you as a as a coach? Well, you know, first of all, my experience there was was unbelievable. You know, being from Kentucky and getting a chance to work for there and, and then being under Cal. Um, but you know, I think the, the greatest thing I take away from Cal is is Two things. One, you know, he, he never rests. He's very relentless. Um, even though he's obviously in the Hall of Fame, he's won national championship and done so many great things, but he's always striving to get better. As himself, as a coach, he's pushing the people around him to get better and he keeps a chip on his shoulder. But I think the, the thing that, that is so great about Cal is he really keeps it about players first, without question. You know, every decision that he makes is going to have those players' best interest in mind. It's not always going to be the most popular decision. Um, but that's where his heart is, and uh, that's what I've tried to make sure that I, I, I keep going with, with my program here at Moorhead State. Lastly, what will you have to do to pull off the upset against Coach Huggins' squad? Oh, you know what? It's gonna, our guys are so excited to, to see that matchup because, of course, that's our, our identity, too. You know, we, we're a tough, physical, defensive team that's going to really make it tough for you to score and, uh, and rebound the ball. And so they do the same stuff. You know, they do it a little bit different, a little, bit, a little more size, a little more athleticism, obviously being in the Big 12. Um, but, you know, we've got to make sure, number one, we take care of the basketball. Um, and, and we don't get sped up. You know, we've got to play with our pace because that's what they do. They take you out of your offense. And they try to make you to take shots that you normally don't want to take, that you don't practice. So our guards have to do a really good job of controlling tempo, controlling pace, getting our big guy, Janai, the ball where he needs to have it so he can be effective. And then, uh, you know, we got to do a really good job of just not giving them the easy baskets. You know, they're going to take some tough shots. And they're going to make a few of them just in the way that they play. We can't give them offensive rebounds. We can't have poor execution that leads to transition baskets. And then we can't put them on the foul line. Uh, just with undisciplined defensive positioning. Preston, I appreciate the time. I know it's busy uh, for you guys for you uh, to jump on with us, and uh, best of luck on um, getting one to start and then keep rolling with the Eagles. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it, Tom, and uh, look forward to catching up after the season. That sounds great. That's Preston Spradlin, the coach of Moorhead State. Uh, just a tremendous season for the Eagles. And now they get a shot to make – a little magic against West Virginia in the NCAA tournament. So I think uh, the Big Blue Nation will be rooting for Moorhead State. Got to get to a break. Come back with David Sisk, Cats Illustrated. This is the Leach Report Radio Network. Can't get to a radio? You can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com. Now, back. 
back to the show. It's the Leach Report. We go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. We're going to David Sisk from CatsIllustrated.com. Uh, David, uh, let's start with uh, a little bit of uh, post-mortem, I guess, on uh, on Kentucky and what would be the, the most glaring issues for Cal to try to get fixed, changed, etc., heading into his next season. Obviously, roster turnover uh, is going to be the big issue, not only who comes in, but who comes back. Uh, but uh, if I had to pick between those two, it would be who's coming in because they have to have some guys who can create scores, uh, both from a skill standpoint, but athletically uh, they need to make sure there's an ample supply of shooters around. So, uh, yeah, guys can put ball the ball in the basket, but for starters to create. Is it uh, first and foremost at the point guard position? Uh, I think that's an issue, obviously. Uh, and I think at the shooting guard where they need a uh, Malik Mock, a Darren Fox, somebody can score. They, and I know they Darren played point guard, but he could score at will. A Jamal Murray, um uh, somebody like that. They've, they've got to have somebody at that shooting guard spot because, you know, so many times last year you would hear John Calipari in his post-game press conference say, we just do not have somebody that we can give the ball to when we need it and say, here, get a bucket. So the bucket getter, I guess, would be the way to, to term it. But, yeah, also the point guard, um, you know, somebody who can break the defense down. I mean, you know, they didn't have that last year. You're looking at guys who really needed somebody to break that defense down to get them into space, and they didn't have it. You could play everybody straight up. So I guess you could say it would be uh, problems 1 and 1A. We're chatting with David Sisk. You can read him at uh, catsillustrated.com. And we'll take a quick break. Uh, and it's at Coach David Sisk on Twitter, by the way. And we'll come back, continue the discussion. Gary Parrish from CBS also coming up in the second half of the Leach Report from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio right here in Lexington. We'll be right back. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. The Leach Report comes to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio. 67 locations throughout the bluegrass to return, refresh, and refuel. And if you like sweet tea, they have it fresh brewed with pure cane sugar. 32 ounces, just 99 cents every day at Clark's Pump and Shop. Uh, they have a drive through window at most of their locations. They follow CDC guidelines for uh, COVID-19, so you're always uh, safe when you go into a Clark's Pump and Shop to return, refresh, and refuel. We're chatting with Coach David Sisk. You can read him at catsillustrated.com. Cal said uh, something on the radio show last night, uh, David, about uh, he sees the game moving more toward uh, greater value and skill and maybe a little less about athleticism. How do you think that feeling fits into the way he likes to uh, run his program? Well, that's going to be a million-dollar question because he's going to have to, 
if he's going to go in with that, he's going to have to make some transitions, um, you know, to what he's done. He does like to bring a post out, and he'll go to a four out uh, with a ball screen or maybe step uh, – uh, his four man out to a corner, but it's not a pure four out type situation where everybody's behind the um, three point line and, and you know they're stretching in space. It's not the Memphis dribble drive that he used to use, really. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of recruits to that. Um, you know, if you have next year, if you have Oscar and Lance Ware on the board at the same time, you can't do it. Uh, what is the post-rotation going to look like? Does he have more stretch players? He's not had a, a pure stretch four, stretch five type of guy in a while. Now, I know Sar stepped out, but Sar kind of worked his way out off the ball screen and then popped. He's not a guy that played behind the three-point line, could put the ball on the floor and go by you, so... I'm interested to see where he goes on that. And, and the way we're going to find out is, is like I said, what that roster is going to look like next year. That uh, Alabama-LSU game was a lot of uh, fun yeah. to watch on Sunday, the way they went back and forth, kind of throwing haymakers at each other. Um, I'm interested to see uh, Alabama over time. They've had a tremendous season. Uh, but the thing that uh, I think sometimes gets overlooked with them and all the excitement about how they play is that they have their top eight guys back, uh, which was a tremendous asset yeah. under these times yeah. and something you don't you rarely get to have in college basketball these days and probably even less so as this transfer thing kicks in. So um, I'll be interested to see you know how once you remove that from the equation, uh, does that have an impact? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Well, you know, I try to think about how those guys have been down there. Um, I uh, coach here in, in Tennessee in high school. They had a senior, uh, and his father, uh, after you know he got done with his senior season, he says, look, I, I'm, they were big Alabama fans. We want to take you to an Alabama game. And I said, I'm sure, sure that'd be great. And Avery Johnson was still a coach down there. And I got to thinking, Herb Jones and Petty and uh, 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 Alex Reese were playing in a game, and I got to thinking, uh, uh, the kid that I talked about, he just graduated so <laughs> from college. So it, that's how long it's been. So not only did they have everybody back, they had a bunch of seniors that uh, contributed there. So, yeah, that obviously that's huge. Kentucky did not have that uh, kind of good fortune. But, you know, there was a lot of teams that didn't. And I, I really feel like uh, we have to kind of look at this and say, hey, Kentucky was dealt the hand, everybody else was, and they've got to do better next year. Yeah, because, uh, you know, the, there's not only do you have, you know, hopefully not going to have any pandemics to deal with, but, you know, things constantly changing. As Cal talked about yesterday, his phrase was the ground was moving below them with transfers, name, image, and yeah. likeness, a lot of things besides just, uh, you know, style of play, too. And I think the transfer route is, is going to be huge for him. I just do not see additions coming through. Uh, recruiting high school seniors with who they've offered. I just, I don't see any more there. I don't see any reclassifications where they're getting younger. I mean, I think they're going to get older. There are going to be a ton of good players out there. There already are. And, uh, I, I look for several additions through the transfer portal of players who have already proven 
that they can excel in a college basketball setting. And, uh, you know, that kind of proven uh, ability um, and, and easy access to it with the change in the transfer rule could be, uh, you know, a big development for, you know, a lot of the Blue Blood programs to get back where they're used to being. Yeah, and, you know, I, I read somewhere well, when a Blue Blood fell off, it took three to four years to kind of get it back. And I don't know what matrix that was judged off of. Uh, I don't know. But it, they may have the chance to do that quicker because of the you're just able to stockpile, like we said, we're proven players. and it, People are going to be shocked, I think, by the names that are going to come out. I mean, they're going to be familiar household names. And we're going to see a lot of that. And I look for Kentucky to be in the middle of it. I think that's one reason why players now, even on Kentucky's side, you know, Fletcher's already decided he's going to move on. I think guys are going to have to make decisions quickly. Calipari's going to push for that. So, you know, he can go ahead and, and get into it because, man, it's going to be like a, a Southwest Airlines cattle call. You know how that goes. You don't want to be, you want to, you want to hold ticket number 15 or 20. You don't want to be standing back there with ticket number 125. You want to be in that A group. <laughs> yeah, you do not want to be back there hoping you can, you get on, or if you do get on, you get the last seat and, and you're next to some 400 pound guy. That's not what you want. So, David, you know, you're going to have to move on our side. Got to run. Appreciate the time. We'll uh, catch back up to you when we know what the the roster uh, looks yes, like sir. and talk more about that. Thanks for the time. Thank you. I look forward to it. End of break. When we come back, Gary Parrish from CBS on the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at Tom Leach KY. Welcome back into the Leach Report. We go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline to bring on Gary Parrish from CBS. You'll see him uh, all over the place this week on the CBS Sports Network and uh, CBSSports.com. Anywhere else, Gary? CBS Sports HQ. We'll uh, talk a, a lot about the tournament here, but I want to start with a little bit about Kentucky because you covered uh, Cal when he was at Memphis, so uh, you saw him go through some you know, rough early seasons there before he got it rolling. But, you know, nothing like this season. Uh, as he said several times, it was uncharted waters for him. Uh, how do you think he comes back from a downturn like this one season? By doing what he's always done, which is assembling talent and then getting it to play hard and play together. Like, I, I would never make excuses for John, and nor do I think he would want me to. But... Um, I, I think you can explain a lot of this away. It, it's not uh, it's sensible to think that a Hall of Fame coach who has been consistently great for decades, you know, just suddenly the, the bottom fell out for him. Like, that, 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 that doesn't make any sense. It, it, this is largely pandemic-induced, and I think the same thing at Duke. I mean, the idea that Duke and Kentucky, two of the biggest brands and most consistent winners in the sport, would both be bad in the same year. Now, Duke was better than Kentucky, but they were both bad relative to their standards. I think you've got to try to ask yourself, okay, why did this happen? And you look at the, the common denominators. They were both so heavily reliant on first-year players who were not in the program pre-pandemic. And if you look at the top of the sport right now, the number one seed, Gonzaga, Baylor, um, uh, Illinois, Michigan, what do they all have in common? They are largely guided by non-freshmen who were in the program pre-pandemic. 
And so I'm not telling you anything you, you don't already know. You know, the, the freshmen didn't get on campus like they normally would. They didn't get to practice like they normally would. They didn't get to play open gyms like they normally would. They didn't get to hang out with each other and just, like, kick it at somebody's apartment like they normally would. They didn't get exhibition scrimmages. They didn't get buy games like they normally would. They, they simply weren't prepared to play in a way that every other year John has a roster like this, he has the team prepared to play. Some seasons it takes longer than others, but he always gets it there. And so I know that in the state of Kentucky, what happened to UK this, this season is unacceptable. Like, it should never be that bad. But I don't think it's that bad for any reason other than they were heavily relying on first-year players, just like Duke, in a year where it was the absolute worst year to be heavily relying on first-year players. Cal said on his final radio show, uh, talked about how, the, uh, to use his phrase, the ground is shifting beneath them in college basketball. And uh, one of the things is this transfer rule that apparently is is going to change. And the analogy I've used, and I'll see if this works for you, is that it it seems like to me it'll be like uh, baseball, where as growing up following the Reds, I could you know tell you they're starting eight and about everybody else's in the mid seventies, and then free agency came and it just changed dramatically from year to year. Is this kind of free agency for college athletics, especially basketball? It will be in some cases, but I think it's overstated uh, by some. Like some people think this will just be the end of everything, and you will never be able to keep a player. The, the truth is, most people are where they want to be. You know, I, I know that the transfer numbers, you know, they look big when, you know, some of my colleagues tweeted out, there's 800 transfers or, you know, and 7,000 people in the transfer portal. But the truth is, if you go look at them, go try to find how many players actually matter. Not many. It's mostly people who aren't playing at the school that they're at. And so they, they want to go somewhere else where they can play. Why do we care if they change school? And then, um, you know, there will be some some recruiting off of other people's campuses. In other words, there's going to be a player, I assure you, who coming out of high school wasn't good enough to go to a place like Kentucky. And so he'll go to a place a level below Kentucky. And then he'll become an all-conference player, and maybe John Calipari wants it. And so then John Calipari might offer a scholarship, and that player might transfer to Kentucky because it was always a dream of his to go to Kentucky. And that will be turned into a bad thing, but I don't understand why. Like, if it's always been somebody's dream to play at the highest level of the sport, but for whatever reason they couldn't do it coming out of high school, but then they proved themselves and they are awarded that opportunity, I personally think we should celebrate that as opposed to to call it a bad thing. I mean, it won't work any differently than the coaching profession works. You know, the only reason a mid-major coach is a mid-major coach, with few exceptions, is because that's the best job he can get, whoever that coach is. And then if, if somebody at a higher level... You know, decide, wow, you did that job so well at that level, we would like for you to, to coach our team. Well, then nine times out of ten, that person just moves up, and we celebrate it. We go, oh, man, I'm so happy for Steve Forbes. He goes from East Tennessee State to Wake Forest. But if a basketball player goes from East Tennessee State to Wake Forest, we act like that's a bad thing. So I'm, I'm for this, and I actually think Kentucky is one of the schools that can benefit greatly because – and John doesn't need recruiting advice from me, but if I were – you know, trying to, to, to roster build at Kentucky, I would still go out and sign my five-star freshman. Like, I would want to get the, the guys that they've been getting. But then I would supplement it with non-freshmen 
who fit very specific roles. Think of it like the NBA. You know, the Lakers don't just get LeBron James and then try to get all the rest, uh, you know, and surround him with the best players they can get regardless of need. They get LeBron James, and then they say, okay, we want to surround LeBron James with shooters. So they go get shooters. They identify very specific things, and then they go win a championship. At Kentucky, you should recruit the five-star freshmen, and they will, and they'll get them. And then, and then, okay, what what works perfectly with these people? Okay, we need a a a control a, a run your team point guard. All right, who's the best run your team point guard in the Pac-12? Not playing at Arizona or UCLA. Uh, it's this kid at, at uh, Oregon State. Okay, cool. Let's go get him. Let's take Oregon State's point guard, bring him to Lexington, let him play with our one and done. Like I really think that's the way it should work. I think it probably will work that way. And suddenly Kentucky, and I think Duke is going to do this as well. They'll still have the top freshmen in the country, but they'll have incredibly experienced and proven non-freshmen that they import in from other campuses, and then you've got nice roster balance, and then you're ready to go win championships. John's one championship team, I don't have to tell you, yeah, it was dominated by freshmen, but three of the top six scores on that team were non-freshmen. I, I think most championship teams are built that way, and I think it'll be more easier. it'll be easier for John to build rosters like that going forward, assuming this transfer waiver becomes a thing. Talking college basketball with Gary Parrish, who covers it for CBSSports.com and CBS Sports HQ. For folks that are starting to fill out their brackets, uh, who are some teams, now that we've seen the bracket, that are underappreciated, overlooked, that could uh, make some noise in a bracket this week? Loyola Chicago. Now, I think they run into Illinois in the second round, so that's probably that. But this is a team that's top ten at Kempom, number one in defensive efficiency. It's actually a, a, a mistake to have Loyola Chicago seated eight. And it's not just something that is, is wrong to do to Loyola Chicago. You know who else is wrong to do it to? Uh, Georgia Tech in oh, Illinois. You're yeah. exactly right. Okay, so they played Georgia Tech first. Georgia Tech just won the ACC tournament, and now in your first round game as an eight seed, you've got to play a top ten Kempom team. That's not right. And then if Loyola beats Georgia Tech, you're Illinois. You just won the Big Ten tournament, had more Big Ten wins than anybody else. You get a one seed, and in your second-round game, where you should be playing somebody who is in, you know, for all practical purposes, in the 28 to 32 range, now you're playing a top-ten Ken Palm team on a neutral court. That's the best defensive team in America. Um, it's a little bit like when Wichita State was a one seed and they put Kentucky with them. I think that game was in St. Louis. Yeah. And that, yeah, and that was just a nightmare for Wichita State because you did everything you could do to earn that one seed, and now you look across the court in the round of 32, and you're playing somebody who is seeded um, differently but is obviously capable of beating you. I think that's what Loyola Chicago is going to be for Illinois. What about the team or two or more that uh, you would sell short that uh, could be vulnerable? I think Villanova right now, um, without Colin Gillespie, is just not the same team. You know, they they lost their point guard and. Then they went 0-2. Now, it was two losses by a total of three points. So, you know, you get a stop here and you make a shot there. You're 2-0 without Colin Gillespie. Maybe it looks a little different. But either way, that team's not the same. He wasn't just their point guard. He was their leader. He was their everything. And even Jay Wright would tell you that. It doesn't mean I think Villanova's losing to Winthrop necessarily, but uh, I'd be surprised if Villanova is, is in the Sweet 16. And then another one is, is Michigan. You know, it's a one seat. They earned it. They're terrific. But they're now without Isaiah Livers who is not their best player, but he's one of the most important. They're just 6-7 and seven in the past two seasons when Isaiah Livers doesn't play. Under 500. How much separation is there between Gonzaga and the second-best team and third-best team? 
Well, if you look at the metrics, it, it is pretty significant. You know, the, the, the best efficiency margin in college basketball history among, the Ken, um, uh, among teams that played in the Ken Palm era. So we go back to 2001-2002. Uh, the, the best adjusted efficiency margin is Kentucky's plus 36.91 in 2015. That was the team that was 38-0, lost to Wisconsin in the Final Four. Nobody has ever been better than plus 36-9-1. Every national champion all the way back to 2002, whoever you think the great ones is, one of the Villanova teams, 2008 Kansas, none of them have been better than Kentucky, plus 36.91. Gonzaga right now is plus 38.05. It is, according to the metrics, the best college basketball team we've seen in the, in the Ken Palm era that dates back to 2002. Michigan is second right now at plus 32.22. I mean, that's a pretty significant gap. Gary, thanks for the time. Enjoy the hoops. My, my pleasure, Tom. Take care. It's Gary Parrish. Look for him on CBS HQ, CBSSports.com. It's the Lynch Report Radio Network, and we'll be right back. Bud Dupree has signed a free agent deal with the Tennessee Titans, so he has a new NFL home. Uh, UK softball has their home opener today at John Crop Stadium. Six o'clock, first pitch. And the U.K. baseball team at Kentucky Proud Park hosting Murray State today. This day in U.K. history presented by the Rave On app. 1985, Joe B. Hall got his last win as Kentucky upset ninth-ranked UNLV in the NCAA tournament 64-61. Kenny Walker had 23. Happy birthday to former U.K. sharpshooter Jim Master. Uh, Wildcat punting great Tim Mastay. And Wildcat football All-American Howard Schnellenberger. And if you didn't see the SEC Storied show on the 78 Champs, make sure you uh, watch for that being replayed. It was outstanding. We'll see you tomorrow on The Leach Report. To the Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to LeachReport at gmail.com. See you next time right here on The Leach Report Radio Network.